0: I think the semester might be getting to me uh, a little bit. I saw the sermon theme for today, and I read it initially kind of like it was an introduction to religion question, right? Why did Jesus come? That was the uh, theme. Why did Jesus come? It just sort of seemed to invite the extension. Why did Jesus come? Please pick one. A, you know, to chew bubblegum. It just sounded kind of bland, and it sounded like one of those things where it's just like, regurgitate the correct answer, and, uh, and you have succeeded. But I think if you read this sort of question like that, you miss the, uh, the gut punch to the thing. I think this one is one that demands a little bit of theatrical intonation in order to actually get the idea of the question. It's not actually just looking for a straight answer. It's looking for understanding why Did Jesus come? Or why did Jesus come? The mere fact that he showed up at all is kind of a shocking thing. Now, when we ask ourselves that question, especially when we ask ourselves that question with the appropriate level of incredulity, our text provides us a little bit of insight. It answers the question in two different ways. Let's take a look at it right now. It's taken from the Gospel of Matthew, 20th uh, 20th chapter, we'll start reading at verse 28. It says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we can see two clear lines that this text is taking. The thing is, is that both of them take us to kind of surprising outcomes. First off, let's take a look at this one. Not to be served but to serve. It leads with that, and I think that was probably a good idea. It sets up a very important distinction between Jesus and basically any other deity that you can think of. He came here not to be served. So already that incredulity already works out. Why did Jesus come? We didn't have anything to offer him. There's nothing special about us. There's nothing that we can give to him that he doesn't already have. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. All things in heaven and earth and under the earth already belong to God. Why would he come? He couldn't have possibly been looking for anything from us. Now, sometimes we might go to praise for that, but even there, he kind of undercut that himself, and he certainly didn't need to come in order to be worthy of the praise. Sometimes we get very hung up on uh, the work of Jesus uh, in salvation, and that's an excellent thing to be get hung up on. Don't get me wrong. This is the thing that we should spend our time dwelling on and meditating on. But consider this. Even if Jesus had never come, to redeem us from our sins, which we commit and which are our fault, even if he had never come, he would still be worthy of our praise. He built the earth, he put everything that was inside of it. I exist on account of his work. Power and mercy, and beyond that, he built the world with my interests in mind so that I could be provided for. If I were to die and that was the end, I would still owe God all the praise in the world for what he had already done. Why did Christ have to come? It sure wasn't for praise, he already was entitled to that, he had the right to expect all that. Except that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. In the most humble of circumstances, to a humble people, to a humble place, a place that was in trouble. The year of our Lord was 2020 before 2020 was even a thing. He came into a world that was already struggling and in strife. His disciples that he took weren't his servants. They were his students. And he went out of his way to serve them, even going to the point of washing their feet. The recipients of his miracles didn't give anything to him. To achieve those blessings, he gave those blessings to them because of a relationship that he was restoring with them. And look at how little praise he actually got out of that deal. He, uh, some of them got so excited, you remember when he cleared the uh, lepers, they didn't even return to thank him. They went running off and started living their lives. And in other instances, he told them, don't tell people uh, what I just did. Most of the time they did anyway, but don't tell people what he did. He was obviously not doing this for anything, any reason other than To fix a broken relationship with humanity. All the work was his. His was the perfect life. His was the perfect death. And even on his way to that death, he was the servant, carrying his own instrument of destruction up the mountain and dying on it. Even his resurrection wasn't for himself, but for us. The empty tomb is for our benefit to look into and see that our tombs are also empty. The Savior's focus was always on the service of others. There's this interesting tradition that grew out of uh, feudal Europe called Boxing Day. Have you guys ever heard of this thing, Boxing Day? Sometimes you see it on, like, if you still, have, I, don't, I don't know the last time I've seen an actual, like, paper calendar, but I used to see Boxing Day Canada, you know, on, uh, on the thing. If you don't know what it is, here's how Boxing Day worked, right? If you were a noble living in old UK, in old England, and you had a staff of servants, they all were dedicated to you but still would want Christmas Day off. Because who wouldn't want Christmas Day off? It seems like one of those things that should happen. But you're a noble and you have people coming over and there's supposed to be this great big feast and you really need your servants to be there to serve that feast. But at the same time, you don't want there to be that much spit in the feast. So you're going to have to do something nice for the people who are making the food and serving it to you. And Boxing Day was the solution. Boxing Day was going to be the day after Christmas. And on this day, the servants would all have the day off. The nobles would be at the very least responsible for themselves. And actually, over time, some new traditions grew up out of this, where it was kind of a role swap. And On that day, the nobles would actually do the work of the servants. They would bring the food out on the silver trays. They would serve uh, the servants. And it got wrapped up in this image of Christ and his service as well. So these funny little bits that revolved around it actually end up kind of portraying a pretty good picture. Jesus is the master of this house. Jesus is the master of the world. We, by all rights, ought to have been his servants, but the only things that we were carrying around on silver platters were our own sins, our own death, our own misery, and Jesus swapped places with us. He gave us his seat at the feasting table of heaven, and he carried all of our burdens around with him. He paid the ransom with his life. That word ransom... Appears in our text today and to give his life as a ransom for many and that's a good uh, It's a good word. It doesn't quite capture uh, The color the Greek word is litron uh, and literally it translates out to liberty price Litron was the money that you would pay to set a slave free This wasn't the purchase price of a slave you weren't buying a slave to keep keep them in slavery This was the money that you would offer specifically to take somebody who had been in bondage and make it so that they were free. Now the temptation here is to kind of continue with the line that we've already been taking, that we are slaves to sin, and that's certainly a true line, right? Uh, Jesus himself says, whoever sins is a slave to sin. So there's definitely application here, right? We're slaves to sin, we're slaves to death and so forth. But that's not actually the color that our verses are putting on this particular kind of slavery. Let's just rewind a couple verses here and take a look at the context. I'm just going to rewind to uh, chapter or verse uh, 26. It says, not so with you. Instead, oh, by the way, I should just say, uh, with that not so with you, it's because the disciples were arguing once again about which one of them was the greatest, right? And he says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, or not to come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus inspires something special in his followers. Jesus sees something in his followers, an unusual, piece of fruit, an unusual fruit of faith. Because what is it that usually happens to a person who has everything? If I were able to walk out of here, and my chauffeur would be waiting for me with my limousine, and he would cart me off to some delicious restaurant, which is supposed to be closed because of COVID, but has opened because of the obnoxious amount of money that I had to throw at them. And then we carry the dinner over to my private yacht. Like I would be a kind of unapproachable person and I would expect a lot out of life. I would probably be disappointed frequently. I would be spoiled. We have an expectation of people who have everything that they are going to be disagreeable, unpleasant, and evil. We think that they are spoiled fruits, and that's usually true. And yet, in an amazing paradox, we are the recipients of everything. All the treasures of heaven have been given to you as an inheritance marked by God. Sealed by Christ's death, delivered by the Holy Spirit, you are the heirs of heaven and all things. And what it does to us is not turn us into spoiled brats, hopefully, but instead allow us to be Christ-like, to be slaves to others, to serve others. Our faith does something else. We emulate him. And become servants. His life was a price to buy slaves' freedom, and the slaves that he sees are the ones, or the slaves that he saves are the ones who are slaves to others. The Savior came to serve us so that we could serve others. We are made Christ like, free of death, free of sin, ready and able to serve. Why did Christ come? He came for all of us. He came for you. Amen.